Father, what an incredible picture that we have of who you are and what you're doing, that you are making a way in the wilderness, that you are a river in the desert. And Father, we ask right now, I ask right now, Lord God, that despite what may be happening or maybe because of what may be happening in each of our lives right now, knowing full well that it can feel like a desert, knowing full well it can be like we are wandering in a wilderness. Father, that you would meet us and show us the way this morning, that you are the way this morning and every morning. And Father, there is a river of refreshment pouring from the throne room of heaven that is making a way in the desert for people just like us, facing the everyday issues that we face, the struggles and the wrestles and the grief and the pain. So too, the joys and the highs and all of life's wonder and beauty. Father, I pray that in these moments, Lord Jesus, that you would be the way for us, that you would be the streams in the desert. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing, sing, O barren land. Water is coming to the thirsty. There's a bottle of water under your seat this morning. Don't get too used to that. I'm not doing it every week. <laughs> every time I say the word thirsty this morning, I want you to take a sip. If you need to pee, <laughs> feel free. <laughs> Though we are empty, He is the well. Draw from me, I will provide. I'm the well of living water. Never run empty, never run dry. Last year, Elise and I were in Melbourne. And as uh, you do, as we did, we perused the city for all of the tasty treats and delights that we could possibly find. And it got to about lunchtime and we were work, walking up um, a, a, a laneway called Hardware Lane. Who's ever been uh, to Hardware Lane? It's a narrow uh, laneway, uh, pretty self-explanatory, uh, in the middle of the CBD and it's brimming with cafes and with eateries. Um, and it's a delight to the senses, particularly if you're hungry. It's more like a gauntlet of deliciousness. That's how I see it. You know, it's like you could just run, run the gauntlet straight down this laneway and everywhere you're just battering off delicious food left, right and centre. There's Israeli food. There's a steak and a seafood restaurant. There's a Vietnamese uh, pho joint. Um, there's all kinds. Of, there's an ice creamery, a pizza place. Um, there's a real swanky, modern Italian kind of setup. A Spanish taquiera. I think that's how you say it. Is that how you say it? No one else really knows, do you? <laughs> and so much more. At that point, and I still do, I've got a thing for bower buns. Anyone had a bower bun before? They're a Vietnamese kind of burrito 
for want of a better description. They're served in a, in a, like a bready bun so light and fluffy that you think you're eating a cloud. Usually then it's filled with like crispy f- fried chicken or a lemongrass beef or at this place they had a soft shell crab or if they don't tickle your fancy and you want the veggie option, there's always delicious tofu. It's a bit of an oxymoron. Um, and then there's this crispy slaw that then goes on top of your selected uh, protein of choice. Um, and then there's the coriander. Because you always need coriander. It is the bit that makes the whole thing sing. Anyway, we got to the end of Hardware Lane and saw a Vietnamese street food place called Hawker Boys. Has anyone eaten at Hawker Boys? Do yourselves a favour. And we stopped and we eyeballed the menu and you guessed it, they had bower buns. Decision made. I'll have one of each, please, sir. The food came out and my eyeballs could already taste the flavour. You know, food's so good that you can already taste it with your eyes. I'm pretty sure Elise took her first bite and did a, and she, she does this, is she, is she in the room? Probably in a, does a reversed, I love, the reverse uh, fist pump and says boom at the same time, takes a bite and goes, boom! It was a very good time. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I'm one of those people that when I'm going somewhere new for food, I like to look the menu up before I get there. Controversial, I know. I know that some of you like the anticipation of waiting all day to to wait and see what is on the menu. I would far prefer the the anticipation of what I'm going to put in my pie hole and what is going to end up in my belly. So I will peruse the menu probably a few times that day. I think I've got a friend in Mel Fowler over here. She's a look-the-menu-up-before-you-get-there kind of person. But I just can't help myself. If I'm going out for dinner somewhere that looks delicious, I want an appetite. I want to daydream about the food. I want to visualise like an elite athlete visualises their next game or their next run. That's the intensity that I'm going to when it comes to building an appetite for something delicious. I want to be so hungry that when I get there, I can order the garlic bread, knowing that I'm not going to spoil my dinner and still have room for dessert. Anyone else with me? Or desserts, plural, for those who have a second stomach for dessert. It's an entirely different stomach. See, when it comes to the buffet of God's kingdom, when we sit to the feast of God's forgiveness, when, when, we, when we get to the, the party of God's kingdom and we see the grazing board before us of his grace and of his mercy, as we sit down to a the roast dinner in God's kingdom of his righteousness and of his justice. Let me ask you, 
How's your appetite? I mean, maybe ask the person next to you right now, are you hungry? You should be because I put a thing full of cooking onions up the back of the church this morning just to make you feel a little bit hungry. What astounds me is that David, who we've been looking at over the last few weeks, King David, as he penned the Psalms, what astounds me is that he spent eight years, some theologues who are smarter than me, they say ten years, living in the desert, in the Judean wilderness. I mean, that was most of David's life between age 20 and age 30, wandering from valley to valley, living in cave after cave, circling, literally, the Judean wilderness for year after year after year. And if you were here a few Sundays ago, I showed you a video of the Judean wilderness. It's not quite the Mediterranean escape that you might think when you first hear the, Medit- the Judean wilderness, you might think palm trees and lush green things, but it is a stark, harsh, barren, dry environment that has been shaped by the wind, by snow, by rain, by heat over millennia. It is, to say the least, a place unreceptive to human flourishing. And at worst, it is just downright aggressively deadly. And David took up residence here for 10 years, 8 years, 10 years, either way, long time. Not by choice. He didn't decide he'd sell up and live the simple life in the Judean wilderness. But by virtue of the fact that he was a wanted man, not wanted for his ability to write good songs, for there were no audience nor orchestra out there. Not because he had an innate ability to slay giants. He wasn't out there for his ability to shepherd really well because he didn't have any sheep at this point. David was wanted dead. And once King Saul clicked to the fact that David had a growing fan base, he saw to it that he would have David, this young threat, eliminated to ensure that the throne would remain his. And what ensued was a long game of cat and mouse where David spent year after year fleeing from King Saul. Then after King Saul's death, he spent many more years after that fleeing from his own son, Absalom, who wanted him also dead. I mean, these years for David, living in the Judean wilderness, were far from a walk in the proverbial Jerusalem park. There were a few things going on for David as he lived in the desert. Firstly, he was far from the temple, which is really hard for us to grasp the significance of what this might mean for David. I mean, so often David in the Psalms writes about having seen the glory of God in the sanctuary and how he longs for the courts of the Lord. He writes about the gates and the ancient gates, the doors opening to receive the presence of God. He writes about instruments and about singing in the temple, about being found in the congregation of praise, a place so dear and near to David's heart. 
Yet here he is in the wilderness with the temple, the place of God's presence, the place in which he felt most at home, the place in which he felt most alive, taken from him a million miles away. This place was a place of God's presence. David's physical state was one of distance from God. And then my mind wanders thinking, if that physical distance for David was a reality, being so far from God's presence, I mean, how would have that affected his spiritual and his mental state of being out there in the lonesome desert? I mean, out there in the desert, David was so far from his calling. I mean, this is a kid who had been anointed the next king of Israel. I mean, surely the next king of Israel belonged in a palace or a castle with a big moat and a drawbridge and the big pillars that Rapunzel lets her hair down out of and all kinds of fancy rooms and big dining tables and butlers and all of the luxuries you'd expect of a king. But David is sleeping on the harsh, dirty, dry ground of the wilderness, night after night after night. I mean, David in the wilderness is far from his home. He's far from his family. He's far from his people. David, he knew he was anointed to serve the king, Jesus, as the next king of Israel. He knew that was his anointing. Do you think it felt like his anointing? He was living in that while he's walking in the wilderness? Do you really think that was his moment of, aha, God, this is the reason why I've been born? This is my anointing being filled right here, right now, on my own with all of these rocks. I mean, David, no doubt, felt far from the place of God's presence. He felt far from where he thought he was meant to be. He felt far from familiarity. He felt, no doubt, incredibly far from certainty. He felt far from how he envisaged his calling would play out. He felt far from what was promised to him. And perhaps in this moment now, you're resonating with some of these. He felt far from where his gifts and talents would be put to good use. No doubt he felt far from his capacity as the leader that he was anointed to be. Felt far from those he was passionate to be among. David in the desert was so far removed from the people, the place, the context, the paycheck, the house, the job, the influence, the security, the calling, the mission that he thought were his. Have you felt the same? Have you felt far from the presence of God? Have you felt far from the place where you feel like once he's called you into, but now it feels you, that is long gone? I mean, how did David respond in the wilderness? I mean, I know how I would have responded. I would have tried to get the heck out of there as quick as I could. I would have done whatever would be possible to get out of there, or at least to make it more comfortable. I mean, did David, do we see him chuck a tantrum in the 
in the Psalms, like a little bit. We might be able to give him a little bit of chucking a tanty in some of his words. I mean, did, did David seek revenge? Was he a revengeful man trying to take Saul down before Saul could take him? I mean, do we see David plotting and scheming a crafty and you know, creative way to be able to usurp King Saul and get to the throne quicker and get his way out of the wilderness? No. What do we see in Scripture of the posture of David's heart? Turn to Psalm 63 if you've got your Bible there. Psalm 63. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. I mean, listen to the posture of David in the place of the desert. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I mean, I can't even dramatize this enough for it to be as real as it ought to. I mean, how often do we read the Psalms quite monotone? I mean, we're talking about a real person here in a real situation who is at their end, the, the, the end of themselves, far from everywhere they were meant to be. Do you think David would be reading this as boringly as he possibly could or writing this? I mean, we need to understand the passion and the hunger that David has in these writings. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you, Lord, upon my bed and I meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your upright hand upholds me. I mean, elsewhere in the Psalms, David crying out, Psalm 84, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs. Yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh Sing for joy to the living God. Psalm 143. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul, Lord, thirsts for you like a parched land. Selah. Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. 
When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. I mean, the Psalms, as we have seen, are awash with moments that open the door wide enough to see this, that David had an unquenchable appetite for God. That David had an unquenchable appetite for God. That despite him feeling distant from God, despite him being overwhelmed with fear of being in a place unfamiliar to him, being on the run, feeling like his life and his world was confined and constricted to harshness and to hardship and to suffering, feeling like his calling was a million miles away, feeling like the plans God had for him were on board a ship that had set sail months ago. Despite feeling lost, and abandoned and vulnerable with an enemy looming large, David had this one thing that saw him through, a hunger and thirst for the presence of God that wouldn't quit. An unrelenting yearning for Yahweh to be near, an appetite for God to be with him, a hunger for his power to be at hand, a deep thirst for the supernatural and the miraculous, a groaning in his belly that cried out for the nourishing foods of heaven, for a diet of divine power and the drenching rains of salvation and rescue and healing. And now I don't know about you, and I most certainly have had times where I have felt far from the presence of God where I have been overwhelmed with fear, where I have found myself charting unfamiliar territory, times where I have felt like the world was no bigger than the conflict that surrounded me, feeling like my calling was rendered redundant, like God's plans for me were three sheets to the wind, setting sail for the horizon, to the graveyard of great intentions. I have felt weary, I have felt tired, feeling like the fuel light of my soul was glowing incessantly at me, demanding that I stop, fill up, but my pride unwilling to slow or stop this ride. I mean, to be sure, I have not spent a decade wandering the harsh terrain of Judean mountain high and valley low, but I have at times, perhaps more often than you would expect, like David, felt lost, felt alone, felt vulnerable, felt outnumbered. And so the question that I have been confronted with and that I am still confronted with, the question that I put to you today is how is your appetite How is your appetite for the presence of God in your life? I mean, how hungry are you for the inbreaking of God's power to affect this current season of your life? These are rhetorical questions. Please don't yell out. 
I mean, how thirsty are you for the nourishing waters of life that flow freely from the throne of heaven? What's your appetite like for the presence and purpose of God for your family? Do you have a hankering to see God fill our church with his glory, to see his house filled with the presence and life of heaven? I mean, what are you craving, church? More of the same? You know, for the amount of times where I hear people in church life reference the good old days. Remember when? I mean, are you craving for the good old days? Are you craving for how it was? Or are you craving for the fresh word? Are you content with yesterday's provision or are you desperate? Are you desperate for the fresh move of God? Because this is true in the kingdom of God, that the hungry get fed. That the hungry get fed. I mean, Jesus, in his first sermon, was clear on the matter. That those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied, will be filled. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not possibly will be, not maybe, not if they get it right or if they're good enough or if they've got all their ducks lined up or if they're, there is no condition. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. I mean, this wasn't just dot point number four of Jesus' wonderful sermon. This is a kingdom truth and a promise from the very mouth of God himself. A truth and a promise not confined to the moment of their proclamation, but a truth and a promise that within a matter of minutes was manifestly evident in people who were found hungry and thirsty in the presence of Jesus. I mean, Jesus wasn't even so much as at the bottom of the hill on which he preached. He hadn't even made it back to his seat in church, if you will, after preaching. Before a sick man with leprosy came falling on his knees before him. A man came hungry. A man came thirsty. A man came yearning with a, a depth like he's never come before. Lord, he cries out, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, seeing his yearning, seeing his longing, seeing his desperation, seeing a man so hungry and who was so thirsty, a man who had been unable to find his healing, his dignity, his restoration anywhere else. Jesus stretches out his hand and he says, I will, I will, I want to be healed. And immediately he was cleansed. The hungry get fed. I mean, what about the blind men who cried out for their sight to be restored? I mean, the crowds all gathered around them, telling them to be quiet. Shh, don't disturb him. Shh, you're making a racket. Shh, guys. This, he's not for you. He's a saviour for people not like you. You're blind. Get back over there. Get back to your begging. But all the more, all the more, that's, but all the more, that is it. I read into that hunger and thirst. All the more, these two hungered and they thirsted. 
But all the more they cried out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. I mean, they did not approach Jesus with a benign, monotone request. They did not come to Jesus with the prayer I was taught as a child. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Look upon this little child. Wasn't that kind of prayer. I mean, these two blind gentlemen came to Jesus with a deep, unrelenting hunger and thirst that would give David a run for his money. From their conviction of who Jesus was, from the revelation they'd received in their spirit, they couldn't be helped but to be driven by their appetite for the kingdom of God to finally break into their lives. The hungry get fed. I mean, sometimes it's not all that noisy. And it doesn't have to be. Now, I love the quiet hunger and thirst of the woman who'd spent her entire life savings, all of it, every last cent, going to the doctors to try and fix a 12-year-long bleeding issue. So hungry and thirsty was this woman for the power of Jesus to heal her, that she squeezed her way through the jostling crowds, ducking and weaving, just so she could possibly maybe get into the tip of her fingers the linen of the hem of Jesus' cloak. Perhaps that would just be enough. I mean, here's a, here's a woman, hungry and thirsty for the healing presence of Jesus, so convinced of his power that maybe, just maybe, if I can just grab a thread. And as it turns out, it was. And the scripture records that the power of Jesus went out from him as the linen of his robe ran between her nervous fingers and immediately she was healed. Friends, the hungry get fed. Those who hunger and thirst for Jesus will be satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for his presence, for his power, for his purposes, they, the scripture tells us, they will be filled. It's to this end that the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians 3.16 that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. It is God's intention for your life and for mine that we be filled with the fullness of Him. And if you can get your head around that, you are doing a whole lot better than I am. It is the purpose and the promise of God that you be filled with the fullness of Him, the fullness of His love, 
the fullness of his grace, the fullness of his power, the fullness of his mission, the fullness of his authority, the fullness of his chain-breaking, prison door-opening, justice-reigning power. And not just us, but by virtue of being his family, also his church, that we would be filled with his glory, filled with his presence, filled with a passion to worship his name, that we be filled with a desperation for the lost and the hurting and the broken souls of our community, that we would be filled with a hunger and a thirst to go and make disciples and to baptize them and to teach them. I mean, how hungry are you for that? How thirsty are you for the fullness of God in your life and his church? And the reality is we all have an appetite. And I'm hungry. Don't know about you. That's onions making me pretty, pretty hungry. And we all hunger and thirst for desires deep, deep within us to be filled. I mean, you've got them. I've, I've got them. There are, there's need in here. There's want in here. There are desires of this heart that cry out to be filled. And I think that's why God gave us food and gave us an appetite to remind us of the grace upon us and the grace of Him to come to Him every day, three times or more. Who eats more than three times? (laughs) And the grace of God to give us an appetite to remind us to hunger and thirst after the things of the kingdom. We all have desires, desire for connection, desire for meaning and purpose, desire for our hearts and minds to actually be free, desire for the cycles of grief and shame in our lives to finally be broken. Desire to live a life of faith that is not shallow or plastic or powerless. A desire to be known by God, to be known by others, to be known. Desire to be useful in God's kingdom, to feel like the way that he has wired us is actually of function and purpose in our world. A desire to run at a pace that won't kill us a desire to run toward a goal that is, in the end, not self-serving. Now, the problem, however, with our fallen condition is that we don't always satisfy our appetite for these things with the right diet. We're guilty as charged. We so often resign ourselves to the quick fix, fast food, bland as biscuits, buffet of the world. And we come back hungry and thirsty time and time again, wondering why on earth we're so tired of doing the same old thing and not finding the depth of satiation and satisfaction that we truly long for. Now, I feel like Jesus is entering our story right now. I mean, it's kind of a bit of a dirt, Dave. Not a fresh revelation, that one. 
Stick with me. I feel like Jesus is entering our story right now like he did with the woman at the well to offer another way, to disrupt the cycle of returning to the same places and to the same sources of our filling. Day after day, the Samaritan woman went to the well for her water, which she can't be blamed for. She had a literal thirst, and at the well, there was literal water. However, that day, Jesus entered her story to address a thirst of a different kind. Jesus knew that the water from Jacob's well wouldn't be enough to quench her deeper thirst. That water wouldn't be enough to fill her appetite for freedom. That water wouldn't suffice in satisfying her thirst to be seen. It wouldn't have satisfied her thirst to be welcomed, to be known, to be loved, to be forgiven, to be restored into community, to have her value and her worth and and dignity restored unto her. And she hoisted her bucket from the well and poured a drink for Jesus. And that's what happened. Jesus Jesus was thirsty. That's a sermon for a whole nother day. She pours a drink for Jesus. And he took a sip. Let's take a sip of water, eh? He, he took a sip. And he looked this woman in the eye. He says, everyone who drinks this water, everyone who drinks that water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give him will never, promise of Jesus right here, will never thirst again. The water that I give him will become in him a stream of living water welling up to eternal life. You know, there are wells from which you've been drawing. Wells that, from which I've been drawing. There are wells from which the church, not just our church, but the church has been drawing that have been meeting a temporary appetite. And I believe God is digging new wells in your life and new wells in the church, wells of living water, deep wells of truth and revelation, wells of power and justice, wells of salvation. There is an ancient spring deep in the heart of the Father, a spring only accessed in his presence. Church, we are to hunger and thirst for his presence. I should probably tell you what the vision is. It should be pretty self-evident by now. Is this going to fall off the wall? What a guess. Straight to the front of the class for you guys. I mean, how's our appetite? How's my... How far out I've been confronted? 
How's my appetite? For the presence of God. How's my appetite for the fresh move of God in my life? I mean, how's your appetite? I mean, it might not just grow right now straight away, but my prayer is that our appetite begins to grow. That as a community, that our appetite for Jesus, as we hunger and as we thirst after his presence, as we hunger and we thirst for his kingdom, which on one hand is here now, on the other hand is not yet. I mean, are, are we going to hunger and thirst in the meantime? And when I say meantime, not just hunger and thirst so that the hours and the minutes can pass us by until Jesus finally returns. But are we going to hunger and thirst in partnership for him in what he's doing in the world? Are we going to hunger and thirst after his purposes in the world? Are we going to hunger and thirst for his glory in our family? Are we going to hunger and thirst for his glory as we worship him as a church? Or is this something we just turn up to? Is this something we just roll around, Sunday rolls around again? Or church, is there a hunger and thirst you have for more? Because the promise of Scripture is that those who hunger and thirst, they will be filled. I know I need filling. Dare I guess it, you need it too. Will we be the generation who, like David, had hunger and thirst for the presence of God that would not quit? even in the desert place? Will we be known for our unrelenting hunger for God to move in our midst? Will it be written of us that we had an appetite for God's power to be at hand? That we had a deep thirst for the supernatural and for the miraculous? Will it be said of us that we had a groaning in the bellies of our stomachs that cry out for the nourishing food of heaven? Will it be said of us that they were a people, that they were a church who dined on a diet of divine power? Will history record that this was a church, that we were a people, that this was the time that we danced in the drenching rains of God's salvation, of rescue and healing? This year, above all things, God is calling us to hunger and thirst. To hunger and thirst for his presence. To hunger and thirst for his presence in our lives. To hunger and thirst for his presence in our homes. To hunger and thirst for his presence in his church here. To hunger and thirst. Here is the invitation of God to us moving forward from this moment into the rest of our year. Isaiah 55, 1 to 2. Come. There's the welcome. There's the invitation. Come. Everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money. This, this costs you nothing. It costs him everything. Come to the waters that cost you nothing. For he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. I mean, great question here, verse 2. Why 
Do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labour for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So we're going to take communion this morning as we um, close up our, our time together and I want this to be a moment for us to be able to minister to each other, to minister God's power to each other as we are in his presence together. That there is no richer fare than to eat of the bread of life. And there is no sweeter drink than to drink of the cup of salvation that reminds us that to hunger and thirst is not an act that we have to conjure up. That hungering and thirsting after God isn't something that we have to beat ourselves up over, something that we have to find the energy for. That the reason that we can hunger and thirst is by the fact that he first loved us and he has placed within us an appetite. Albeit at times we misplace that appetite or we fill it with things we ought not to. But knowing full well that he welcomes us all the same. And he says, come to the waters and drink. Come freely. Listen to me diligently. And delight yourself in the rich food. So I invite the band to uh, come back up. As we take communion, uh, whoever you've come with or whoever's part of your household or if you've come alone and you just want to take communion alone, that's entirely uh, fine and, and, and great as well. Or if you want to grab somebody uh, nearby and uh, pray with them, as well. Uh, I'd, ask, I'd ask that you pray for a growing hunger and thirst. Uh, I can't force this upon you. I can't tell you to get hungry or tell you to get thirsty. I mean, this is, this is where you are at with the Lord. I, I, the, the promise that you will be filled like nothing else can fill you. You hunger and thirst for His presence. You hunger and thirst for his power. You hunger and thirst for his purposes in your life and in our world. You will be filled. And not with a filling that will run out in a couple of hours' time or a few days' time, but a, a filling that will last. A filling that will go on. A filling that will not leak from you. A filling that is eternal. It's hunger and thirst for this. I want to read Psalm 63, verse 1 to 5 again, what we opened with. And I've changed the eyes to wheeze as a declaration of our thirst for God as well. If I'm allowed to do that, to speak on your behalf just for a moment, to mark this moment that as a community in 2023, we commit to hunger and thirst after Jesus. Commit to hunger and thirst in his presence. That, oh God, you are our God. Earnestly we seek you. Our souls thirst for you. Our flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We look upon you in the sanctuary. We look upon you in your presence, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, our lips will praise you. We will bless you as long as we live. In your name, we will lift up our hands. Our souls will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and our mouths will praise you with joyful lips. Amen. Does the band lead us in this song?
come and take communion and uh, pray on your own or with somebody that, that our hunger and thirst for Jesus would grow. That our hunger and thirst for what He is doing among us would continue. That we would see Him at work and cause us to hunger and thirst even more and deeper again. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a town in the far west of uh, Queensland called Winton. There's a pipe at Winton that comes up out of the ground and it's plumbed directly 3,000 metres, three kilometres deep into our country's soil. And there it, it finds the waters of the Great Artesian Basin. And the Great Artesian Basin is an underground lake that covers at least a quarter of our entire continent. Just a an enormous lake filled with so much water. I don't even know how much water. More, more water than we could ever need. Heaps. And there's, there's this one pipe, well, there's probably more, but I know of this one, that has been plumbed to the depths. That this well has been dug to access this water. And so I want to I pray for us that we would have a plumbing job done in our hearts that as David cries out deep calls to deep that there would be a new well dug in our hearts that accesses that great artesian basin of the father's heart that that river of of life the waters of heaven that flow deep within his heart for us for you would find their way out, that there would be a bubbling up in this new well, that there would be an overflow in this new well, that as old wells are closed, as the Lord comes and he puts his foot over that hole and says, not that one, and puts his hand over this one and he starts blocking up all of the old holes that say, no, 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 they're not serving you anymore. They may have been good for a season, but there's a, there's a fresh well, there's fresh water, there's a new flow of what I want to do in your life. And so let's stand together and I want to pray that God would do this work in us and in our church. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would dig that new well in our hearts that gives us just an untapped access to the eternal waters, the living water that the person of Jesus would arise and erupt from these new wells among us, that his life itself would flow, his resurrected life would flow from within our beings. His resurrected power and life would flow from this body, your church. And Father, we avail ourselves to that work in Jesus' name to have you dig a new well in our hearts and that, Father, we would be found parked there, hungering and thirsting for more of that. Lord, that as you pour it out, we say, more, Lord, more, Lord. As you nourish us, we say, more, Lord. As you heal us, as we experience your power, we say, more, Lord. 
Give us more in Jesus' name. Drench your church, drench our lives as we hunger and as we thirst. Father, drench our community as we go. May the overflow of our lives and what you're doing in our hearts be that which feeds and nourishes our world in Jesus' name. Would the waters of your healing exude from us and these new wells. Father, may these communities we're a part of, this city that we live in, the nation that we're in, Father, may they be healed because of the work you're doing in us and in your church. Father, we cry out for that satisfaction and that filling. And I pray that we would be a church found hungry and thirsty in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, if you're hungry, hang around for morning tea. And if you're thirsty, there'll also be a coffee. Um, Deeper than that, uh, we're going to continue to hunger and thirst. Uh, Next week, I'll bring a word on hungering and thirst after God's purposes among us and in our lives. Uh, And then in March, we're going to look at a few practicalities of uh, what we feel God is calling us to set our eyes onto. Um, And alongside that, uh, we're going to open up our Sunday nights for five weeks uh, from 7 till, let's say, 8.30, but who knows how long those things go. A, A place for us to gather Uh, to hunger and thirst in God's presence together, to pray as a church, to be together in a different kind of way that's not our Sunday morning. Um, And so you'll get invited, you're invited to that now, I'm inviting you to that now, but look out, it's going to be more invitation to that coming, that for four or five weeks in March, that we gather to pray on a Sunday night and fast. You're like, oh, dang it, you had me at come for prayer, you lost me at fast. Um, but to pray and fast through the month of March, you know, as we embody hunger and thirsting for God and His purposes and His will in our lives, and I believe God is going to move and there's going to be breakthrough in our community and He's going to, um, he's going to encourage and build up and bless His church abundantly. And so um, can I ask you, keep the posture of David to hunger and to thirst, even in the difficult times. In fact, especially in the difficult times. Amen. Be blessed and see you soon.